Arising from Disney Recreation host is senior Disney executive Barry Jacobson's career in customer service has taken him across the country and around the globe. His career and real-life customer interactions have centered around creating a culture of exceptional personalized guest, member, fan, staff, and customer experiences. Barry's performance-driven skills and expertise have brought innovation and success to many iconic brands throughout his career, including the Walt Disney Company, Club Corps, the Dallas Cowboys organizations, Go Cowboys, and many others. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Barry Jacobson. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing just great. And, uh, you know, I'll have to admit right off the bat, Jerry Jones never knew I was a Minnesota Vikings fan, okay? <laughs> so guys that are out there that are Cowboys fans, uh, I've got all the gear, everything from the wash to the ties to any kind of uh, – Warm up, et cetera. But uh, deep down, I wore that purple and yellow all all underneath it. So, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, gosh, uh, Barry, we like to start everybody with, uh, you know, how did your journey with Disney begin? How did this all get started for you? Uh, well, it's a great story. Uh, I was uh, ending up my high school years, heading off to the University of Central Florida, wanted to work. Um, and I went out to the casting center at Disney and, um, they had some jobs available, but I had my water safety instructor. I said, I'd like to be a lifeguard. They said, Oh no, no, we don't have that available. The very next day in the paper, the Orlando Sentinel was immediate opening for lifeguards. And so I picked up the phone and went back out to casting and uh, got hired as a recreation host, uh, a long time ago, uh, 1977, actually, is when I started with the company. Wow. Wow. That <clears throat> 1977, I mean, that was, wow, that was just after opening, so things were still brand new. Smell. It had that new theme park smell, I'm sure, still. It sure did. I mean, we had the Polynesian, the Contemporary, and at the time, the Golf Resort. Right. Um, oh. And the, the Magic Kingdom, I know we had Fort Wilderness as well. But I started at the Polynesian, and uh, it was an amazing role, and I loved it while I was going to college at the University of Central Florida, uh, because I had the best shift ever, 11 to 710, which meant that I could go out after 7 o'clock at night and do what most 18 to 21-year-olds do, go and have a good time, downtown Orlando, Rosie O'Grady, nickel beer, and uh, then come to work the next morning and uh, do it all over again. But you know, I started learning at, a, at an early age how great Disney was, and, and, and really, truly, uh, 37 years later, with a couple of different roles around the, the United States, uh, Disney is still uh, near and dear to my heart, and I loved every minute of my career uh, working with the mouse. Right. So <clears throat> the question is, uh, because not a lot of people know this, uh, if they're late to the game, is... The Poly Beach used to be open and used to go swimming in the Seven Seas Lagoon. At least that's what we used to do. So were you a lifeguard on the beach or at the pool? So my uh, first uh, role uh, was uh, a dock job is what we were called, uh, renting out the Aqualarks at uh, $6 an hour, uh, believe it or not. And I remember going home after being on that dock all day and pulling the engine cord and in my sleep, I could remember just pulling that cord in the middle of the night. But uh, I did indeed uh, advance after getting off the dock uh, to guard uh, the main pool, uh, which had that slide in it. 
uh, and also the beach. And, and you are absolutely correct. Uh, we used to swim. In fact, you could swim from the Polynesian to the Contemporary early in the morning, which we did many times as guards. Uh, so I, I used to swim in that lake. Absolutely. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and you, you didn't grow a third limb or... You know, nothing, nothing bad. <laughs> well, back, back then, I mean, you know, back then, as like you were saying, is that uh, everything was crystal clear back then. The yeah. water traffic wasn't as robust, and right. the water was really clear. You could see to the bottom of that lake until you got out a little deeper, and uh, there was no problem in swimming in the lake. And, you know, we used to guard that, that lake in uh, Seven Seas Lagoon, yep. uh, and uh, guests would swim there. Had a couple of rescues in my lifetime. Oh, really? Nothing too glamorous, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, one of my favorite ones. Uh, this is great, you know, because we were in Orlando. We had the Navy base here, and you know, those sailors on the weekends would sure have good times. And uh, several of them came out to rent boats at at, at uh, one time, and uh, they two of them were in the boat and as they were going out of the marina at the Polynesian, we saw the boat capsize and I'll never forget that. It was a buddy of mine uh, and I ran down the dock and we actually dove over the top rope into the water and uh, rescued these two guys who had flipped over and, and you know, just seeing these sailor hats floating uh, on top of the water and a couple of guys that were in, you know, they had their life jackets on, but they were flailing around. Um, that was just a, a memory that I'll never forget as a kid uh, at the Polynesian. And, uh, you know, just so many great opportunities working with wonderful people back, back then. Uh, one of my mentors in life, uh, Hideo Amamiya, uh, was the general manager of the Polynesian when I was there. When I was a young kid, he took me under his wing. And uh, as many people know, Hideo went on to help us uh, bring Tokyo Disneyland to life. And right. then became vice president of resorts out at Disneyland and uh, unfortunately passed away. But he is a Disney legend. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. <clears throat> All right, John, you're up. So when you're, well, let me ask, because of your getting in early at Disney, do you find that a lot of the people that you work with at Walt Disney World have gone on and done, done amazing things like that? It seemed like it was a much more close-knit community back then and the connections must must have been amazing especially as you know please forgive me for this you know 10 years 20 years goes by 30 years goes by and you see where it, do you find that's been happening a lot are they hiring within or do a lot of the people like you were working with back then you know some stay with disney but a lot of branched out and went into different industries yeah, some people left, but many have stayed and, and are very dear close friends of mine. And, uh, you know, I left a couple of times, which we can get into. But, uh, you know, some of my fondest memories working at the Polynesian as the duty manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, they called me the Aloha Kid, actually, because I absolutely used Aloha in greeting and speaking to every guest and as was prescribed and helped with the theme. But right. uh, there was this guy back then who was the food and beverage manager. His name was George Caligridis. Everybody knows George's story, <laughs> yeah. starting, yeah. As the, starting as a dishwasher. And as the duty manager, I, I got to know George very well. And uh, um, he uh, later became uh, my boss at, when I was at the Grand Floridian. When he was the general manager, I was the resident manager and then the food and beverage manager at the Grand Floridian. So, uh, you know, there are many of us that, uh, you know, stayed with the company. 
some left like I did a couple times, but, uh, you know, lifelong friends, uh, Kevin Myers, another, you know, great leader at Disney, vice president of resorts. Uh, Kevin uh, was one of the guys that I worked with when I was a kid. He was a recreation manager. I think he was at Fort Wilderness, but I knew Kevin all my life. And uh, when uh, they needed somebody to come back to Disney uh, who had some experience in private club business, uh, my name came up because Kevin knew my history. Kevin knew me, my wife, my family. And uh, when they needed to bring back someone to the company to run Golden Oak and help initialize that private club experience, uh, Kevin called me and, uh, and George Calagrius actually called me. And it was a great seven-year run helping to initialize that new uh, operation for Disney. Wow! Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna dig deeper into the uh, the Golden Oak in just a second. But let's kind of go back when when you're a director of event management. What what's it like to be in the the opening team for like a, a Disneyland Paris or a Disney Hong Kong or Tokyo? What what's that like in 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 regards to you know your your job? requirements and the scope and scale of it how does one go about doing that yeah you know i i grew up uh, uh really being mentored as a young boy by my mother so i credit all the knowledge and taking care of others which i believe is the hospitality business is really taking care of others to my mom who uh when i grew up in a small town in connecticut uh our house was the epicenter of social activity and she could pull a buffet out of that refrigerator and serve 25 people and people would be there all day long. And uh, when I started with Disney, um, I knew that I loved this side of the business. And, and uh, because really, as you know, it's, it's about creating experiences for people, memorable experiences. And so my background was 15 years in resorts. And in that time frame, I had a job uh, for almost two and a half years as the uh, manager of resort special activities. And I was mentored again uh, by a woman who has since passed away. Her name was Jane Here, and she was the grand dame of handling all the VIPs that came to Walt Disney World, whether it was celebrities, heads of state, Disney executives. You name it. I did that job for two and a half years under her tutelage. I'll never forget her teaching me to inspect a room and go through it like a fine-tooth comb, checking the phones, checking underneath the sinks. Um, you, it was amazing, straightening lampshades. And um, I got to work as a young guy, uh, 19, I'm going to say 1983, 1982, 83 to 85-ish or 84, uh, working in that job and got to work with Many Disney executives, uh, chairmen at the time, uh, Card Walker, Don Tatum, uh, Ray Watson, Ron Miller, uh, doing mm-hmm. float boat cruises with them, celebrities like Richard Nixon, obviously wasn't a celebrity, but a politician who I remember escorting to his room in, in, the, in the elevator, Michael Jackson, float boat cruises. Uh, it, was a, it was really my entree to dealing with people who need that next level of handling of kit glove service. Right. Um, I then went to Fort Wilderness, and um, after Fort Wilderness, I then spent three years in the private club business, um, and which is really truly a lot different than running a resort or a park. It's really customized and personalized uh, service, uh, and getting to build strong, strong relationships, individual relationships with people. So. Fast forward, 
1995, um, I was asked to get involved in working with our annual shareholders meetings. And I was part of the resort sales and services area, our sales and marketing area, help plan, organize, and execute shareholders meetings. And that started a run of working with our corporate offices on the West Coast uh, with one of my dear friends today who's since retired, Marsha Reed, who is the vice president of corporate governance and special assistance to the board, and working with a litany of vice presidents of Synergy and special projects that reported directly to Michael Eisner and reported to Bob Iger. Uh, and I was their meeting planner. And uh, hmm. truly, I got the good fortune uh, to go and help create and work on events and logistics for uh, the Disneyland Paris, back then it was Euro Disney, um, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Paris for the second gate. But you asked the question, so I know I gave you kind of a big wind-up to, to an answer. Uh, truly, working on these events uh, requires an enormous amount of attention to detail. It requires collaboration and coordination with so many people uh, to be able to execute with no failures. And right. believe me, I made some mistakes in my time. Um, but what I liken it to when I would do these types of roles uh, would be like an orchestra conductor, a maestro, uh, where you have to get all the top musicians, which are all the top talented people at Disney, all playing the same notes, everybody working together uh, to create a symphony. And uh, I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of amazing people who uh, helped me along the way. And I had a department I ran for 16 years, event management at Disney, that planned, organized, and executed company-sponsored events and all our cast member events and any events to do with marketing, government relations, uh, all our corporate alliance partners, it was truly an amazing run and one of the most memorable jobs I've ever had. Yeah. That's amazing. So, Barry, who, <clears throat> when there's a park opening, let's, let's say that type of event, who comes up with that vision? Is that, you know, a corporate synergy team that say, hey, you know, we need it to look like this and feel like this and we want to showcase this? Who normally, you know, leads that, uh, you know, that vision design? Yeah, all of that comes out of uh, corporate marketing uh, out on the West Coast in conjunction okay. with key uh, marketing, sales and marketing, mostly marketing folks. Uh, for, for example, you know, the opening of Hong Kong Disneyland, uh, marketing is planning out all the events. But then on the logistics side and on the execution side, uh, you know, it's a, it's about all about a site visit to uh, these locations with a key group of individuals. You know, and on our team, myself, I mostly handle rooms, food and beverage. I have a key person who worked with me on transportation and luggage and airplanes. Another person that worked on uh, the computer side and all the technology side that we needed to execute these right. meetings. And then it's uh, an itinerary that's really driven by uh, the West Coast, by people that are uh, planning and organizing uh, the board of directors, the Walt Disney Company board, as well as uh, key Disney executives, including uh, people like Michael and uh, obviously Bob Iger. Right, right. Do you have any uh, quick 
uh, interesting Michael Eisner stories? <laughs> uh, you know, Michael uh, was amazing to work with, the most creative guy and, and really, truly yeah. uh, uh, just a fun guy. You know, oftentimes uh, just taking care of him and making sure that everything is well executed. I, I know that uh, one story I, I recall uh, was uh, when we were in Philadelphia for a shareholders meeting. And, uh, you know, you may remember that was, I think I want to say it was around 2008 when uh, Roy Disney uh, was involved and there was some unique circumstances between Michael and Roy. But, uh, you know, we we had to pull together a dining experience at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia within a probably a two hour period uh, when we recognized that uh, we needed to move an event and we had to transform uh, a dining room, uh, well, actually, it was a banquet room into a dinner for 60 people. Wow. And uh, Michael was, you know, again, amazed and thrilled. And then, you know, paying special attention to, you know, 60 people's diets, mm-hmm. and including Michael's. And, uh, you know, I, I think Michael was always somebody that uh, appreciated and valued everything he did, as does Bob Iger. Um, you know, uh, in my career, I was very lucky to be able to. Uh, watch these guys um, do what they do and lead uh, the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, we had uh, Ron Logan on, and he uh, uh, had a story that, uh, I wouldn't say that it was a habit, but there were times that, you know, Michael would call up Ron and say, uh, come over here to Aspen for, a, a you know, a, an executive summit. And, you know, Ron was in the middle of some huge project in uh, you know, Disneyland Paris, trying to get uh, parades and entertainment going, and he's like, "Yeah, just drop that. Come over here." <laughs> so, um, I, I guess when you're the CEO, you get to do those things. <laughs> well, the, the fun thing about the job that I had, uh, you know, I was always the go-between between, you know, Michael's person, Michael's VP of corporate and synergy and special events, whether whether it was uh, Jody Dreyer or Chris Curtin. Uh, Linda Warren. These are probably some names that you have heard of. Mm-hmm. But every time I was called upon to do something fun or to create something, uh, it required just a knowing who to call and the right network of people. So, uh, you know, you'll love this story. Uh, we were doing an event uh, at Walt Disney World. We had just opened the boardwalk. And uh, Wing Chow, who is, of course, another Disney legend and a dear friend of mine, uh, Walt Disney Imagineering had completed that hotel and all our executives had checked into that hotel, including Michael. And uh, a funny thing happened. Uh, there were no door hooks on the back of the door uh, in the bathrooms. So, you know, it's one of those misses that can happen in an opening. Right. And I was called upon at about 11 o'clock at night to uh, find as many hooks as I could find uh, to place on a silver tray for the next morning for Michael to present those to Wing Chow as a joke. <laughs> so this is wow. eleven o'clock. This is eleven o'clock at night. Uh, <laughs> so there is a system at Walt Disney World where we have a twenty-four hour uh, duty manager. I called Walt Disney World Control, which is uh, located in our security area. I said I need the head of engineering to call me. Whoever's on, I don't know who it is, but have them call me when they can't. Right. So they did, and uh, that person went to a warehouse, 
And by 8 o'clock the next morning, we probably had about 35 different types of hooks on a tray. And uh, the joke was on poor Wing Chow, but that's the good nature of Michael Eisner. He's a fun guy, um, charismatic guy, certainly created the Disney decade. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he will be remembered as a, as a great CEO of our company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he was... A big fan of the parks. I mean, yes, uh, movies and entertainment, because that's where he came from. But I think he really uh, uh, was very creative and, and, you know, and really wanted the parks to really blossom and shine. Um, So, you know, I always thought I was a fan of him because I'm like, hey, I love the parks. So if you're going to be a fan of the parks and do these great things like Hollywood Studios, well, then, you know game on let's go i'm yeah, along for the ride yeah and you absolutely and you know parks the actual cruise line uh you know mm-hmm. those were all part of michael's genius and you know michael was again very interesting guy put on a baseball cap at you know nine o'clock at night and sneak down to pleasure island at the time and uh, walk around and just in, right. inspect and see what's going on or pop in and, and go see a movie or uh you know, that's just the way he operated and uh, very, very fun time with he and getting to know his family and uh, watching his boys grow. Right. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I did security back in the day and I, I want to say that his kids used to stay at the tree, Treehouse Villas, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I think we used to get called there a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> they might have um, just to make sure they were okay they let's say a, it that way <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean I had a good fortune once of planning their vacation for a week and it was oh, fantastic that's great. and just, yeah. you know the, the thing about planning events uh, for uh, Disney uh, and in particular when you're planning those events for uh, Disney employees Disney cast and especially executives is how do you make it unique? How do you make it different? How do you make it special? Right. I remember when we opened up Animal Kingdom, uh, prior to opening, Judson Green tasked us with creating what would be a jungle campsite uh, for he and the, his direct reports uh, to go out and really immerse themselves in what, you know, being in a, what, what safari would be like. So again, working with so many creative people from yeah. food and beverage to entertainment to uh, art and design, we created a campsite, a you know safari type campsite out in the middle of Fort Wilderness, as if you were in a jungle with a you know broken down jeep, uh, with uh, tents, with safari <laughs> noises in the distance. Uh, it was you know, and that's the kind of fun that I had for 16 years all over the. United States. Uh, I also, you know, for a while I did, you know, part of my role was trade shows and client events as well for the sales division. So, you know, conferences that we would do and trade shows around the country to help drive uh, corporate and uh, group business to Walt Disney World. And uh, so that was also uh, part of my responsibilities. Right. Now, uh, you started D23, which has now grown to be this huge phenomenon that happens every two years. I mean, it's it's every branch of the Disney 
company all represented under one roof, which is the craziest thing to ever see. If you've never been, you have to go at least once just to see it. But how did you get involved with this, and and how did the the whole D twenty three event, you know, come to life? Well, um, I remember at the time my uh, senior VP uh, Georgia Gell uh, came to me one day, and you know, I was the director of event management, and he says, "I have a special project for you." Uh, you know, you didn't say ever say no. Uh, right. He said, we're going to let you go out and we're going to let you work with Stephen Clark, who was the father of D23, the marketing guy, vice president of communications out at corporate, mm-hmm. who came up with the Disney fan club, who pitched it uh, to Bob Iger, who greenlit it. Um, there was not an official Disney fan club uh, until D23, which, <laughs> of course, uh, stands for Disney in 1923 when the company started, when Walt started the company. Um, but, uh, I said, sure. Uh, now I had been involved in trade shows and client events. I had seen conferences, uh, but I did not know what I was getting into. Uh, and uh, so I flew out to California. Uh, Steven was one of the most charismatic, crazy guys I've ever worked with. And he pushed and helped us all to create this event. The, the funny thing, and you said it. Um, combining and getting every business unit of the Walt Disney Company to play nice in the sandbox so that they yeah. one one business wouldn't outdo another. Uh, creating merchandise that would resonate with the members, uh, with the fans, if you will. Selling this to the public wasn't that big, big a, a difficult thing to sell because you know everybody no. loved Disney, especially those ardent Disney fans. Right. But that very first day, um, when I got up at, well, well, let's just talk about the trade show itself. Uh, meeting and getting uh, different business units in a room was, again, like herding cats in a bag. These guys were all jockeying to be the best, and we had to give them some, you know, some guardrails on on what they could and couldn't do. Right. Uh, setting up the trade show floor, we partnered with a, an outside company to help us do that. We partnered with an outside company to do help us do the ticketing because we weren't ready to do that. Um, creating every aspect of security, name that as uh, celebrities, uh, thinking about cast members that we were going to bring to help us with this event, uh, putting in lockers for those cast members. And we basically set up a, another situation across the street from Disneyland uh, with the Anaheim Convention Center year was, was a lot of work. Uh, they since obviously not like science, around but um, that first year there were things we, we had to rent uh, for disabled guests. We had to rent wheelchairs. And I remember walking in and, pushing, and uh, some of the wheelchairs had major um, attractions from around the city and uh, I'm around the uh, you know, Southern California no, we can't say such um, And so we had to switch this right away. Uh, the line at 30 in the morning uh, when I first got out and now I saw the line of people waiting to think about removal around the events. So we quickly put a run on the second floor of this convention 
convention center where I could see out you know, of a big window and I came uh, for about three hours, the voice. Good morning and welcome to the D23 Expo at 9 a.m. You can go to this room to be able to see this. And you know what? Uh, immediately we found the from across the street okay, with an incredible uh, voice and we did that first year and, but Tim was amazing came in and uh, bellowed his voice around that uh, convention hall to get people to move in a, in a better flow um, but an amazing experience so back then I was Cyrus uh, Johnny Depp you know, right. they were like, I think I was and we had her, and, and it was just a it was just a great experience. Yeah, what were? Oh, it's, it's crazy. What, I can. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, but what were some of the, like what, the, what were some the, of the? Go ahead. <laughs> Say. There's a time. There's a time delay on our end. So go ahead, Tony. I'm I'm fine with that. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, what were some of the 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 challenges with you know corralling all of that that and and then for. How do you present it in a way that, you know, we go, all right, the fans are going to love this, this, and this, and this. And and maybe for the first one, it was kind of maybe hit and miss because you didn't know. I mean, now that it's been benchmarked, because it, I, I think the original one was probably around 30,000 maybe fans showed up uh, because I think, you know, not everybody knew about it. But now it's like chaotic. It's like I'm hearing like over 70,000 people a day. Uh, you know, or, or, or sent through the expo. So, how do you keep making it better each year, or or plussing it, as Disney would say, to to get it to this chaotic craziness that it is today, where you know seventy thousand people pile into you know the Anaheim Convention Center for an event. That's got to be uh, daunting. Yeah. So, um, I was the first uh, GM, as I said, of uh, D twenty. Uh, and uh, it was very interesting to watch uh, our senior level executives. Everything was approved, and you know, I want to go back in time and think about um, a couple of the things that we were doing. So I believe at the time, let's just take parks and resorts. So it was more just parks. Mm. Um, at the time, that's when they were thinking about Disney's California Adventure and had a model from WDI of um, forgive me, Tony, you're going to give me this and I'll, I'll go back and you guys can edit it out. The model for uh, cars. Um, Radiator Springs? Radiator Springs. So let's let's go back and I'll, I'll say that. Um, I believe at the time it was uh, Radiator Springs was uh, just in a part of what, what Walt Disney Imagineering was imagining, and they had a model. So that was uh, the key piece of their presentation. They actually took them first inside a theater where they showed them a retrospective of the building of our parks and you know, how Walt Disney Imagineering works together to create these uh, most amazing experiences. And then they gave them a sneak peek. So when you think about where it was and where it is today, 
for these most ardent fans who love Disney, yeah. uh, what the different business units want to showcase is what's next, what's new, and give them a sneak peek. And to your point, you asked a question. I think what I like most about the way this works and the way I'm sure it's worked, it worked this way for us back then, incredible amount of respect and collaboration amongst the business units. Mm. And a lot of uh, thought process goes into the delivery of what they're going to show to the fans, including the Disney Legends ceremony, right. uh, any sneak peeks from any television shows or upcoming movies, whether it's, you know, obviously Marvel or Pixar. So it, it really is a, a collaborative effort and uh, everything gets uh, approved at, at the highest level. Yeah, yeah. It is a spectacle to see. If, if, if you have never been, you have to go once. It, you know, just it is... Uh, it is a very interesting event, and nowadays it is a little crowded. Back in the the first couple of ones, it wasn't so crowded. There was actually some elbow room. <laughs> now there's a little less elbow room, but uh, it's still well worth it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and flash forward to one of the well, one of the most exciting reasons that we were getting to talk with you today, Golden Oak. Um, they invited you to be the general manager. So what, when you got that call and you, and you, you accepted, what was your approach to being the general manager? How did you approach it from all of your training that brought you to the Golden Oak community? Yeah, it was a, it was a great phone call because at the time uh, I had just completed an assignment. I was living in Dallas and got a call from George Caligridis, the current president of Walt Disney World at the time. And George had just arrived from California because uh, he was the president of Disneyland. And uh, he said, I got this thing called Golden Oak, if you're interested. I don't know much about it. He only knew, he knew very little about it at the time. At least that's what he said on the phone. And uh, I looked at my wife in the kitchen after I hung up uh, with George and I said, uh, how quickly should I call him back? Cause I was ready to come back to Walt Disney world. And so I had about three years of private club experience, uh, which is really part of my foundation of, uh, you know, being able to do this role uh, and work with a great team at Golden Oak who was already there and established. Um, but uh, in addition, the previous experience and working with uh, different levels of people when I was in resort special activities, uh, but just knowing that at the end result, uh, building something that we could all be proud of is what we talked about every single day. And so when I first came to Golden Oak, I was welcomed uh, by the team. And we really came up with uh, two things we talked about all the time, building a sense of community right. and driving the resident experience. So when we started making decisions, about this community because uh, we wanted it to be a place that was like no other, a place where people knew each other, kind of like cheers. Um, so we, we always thought about creating uh, a community, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. Uh, and then uh, the next thing was creating resident experiences, unparalleled experiences that, uh, you know, fortunately, let's be very honest, we had the playground right in our backyard of, of Walt Disney World mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to be able to uh, create 
create some amazing experience. And, you know, uh, that's what we did uh, with the team. Uh, we, we actually uh, selected, hand-selected, and worked with casting uh, to find the best of the best at Walt Disney World. I, I will not say that I had it that difficult because uh, four of my leaders were all legacy award winners. Right. Uh, the chef, the food and beverage manager, the operations manager, and the community association manager were were there. I I, I selected a couple of them, but uh, you know, one of the first uh, employees there was the operations manager, who uh, actually now today has taken on the job as the operations GM of, of Golden Oak since I left. Um, but uh, we all worked together in concert uh, to create a great experience for these members and. Where I had the edge up, um, I had the Disney experience, uh, you know, working in our resorts, working around the company, working with VIP guests, uh, people that need a little bit more uh, kit glove handling. Um, but I uh, really, truly uh, was able, uh, with the support of senior leadership, to help change uh, the uh, level of service to be more personalized and customized. And that's not to say that we don't treat every guest as a VIP. I don't want any of your listeners to think that. And, uh, very individualized person, very individual person, uh, you know, not a very important guest, but a very individual person. Um, but, uh, the difference is that in a resort or a park, uh, even though you have repeat guests, mm-hmm. um, and they come often in a private club experience, they don't check out of the hotel. Right. They don't leave and go back to a, a hotel uh, in Central Florida uh, out of a park. These are people you're going to see day in and day out. And as such, uh, you begin to build uh, more of a, uh, a friendship, a relationship, and an understanding of the people that uh, are go- you are going to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. This was not really Disney's first, uh, you know, time at building a community i mean they built celebration it wasn't private it wasn't a club type atmosphere but how you know i I don't want to compare the two because they're (laughs) completely different things but how do you provide that you know that next level guest experience like you're saying to people that are now you're building friendships with so you know because when you're a friend with somebody you provide different service to them but when you're they're a guest, that's a different kind of service. So how do you provide that really elite guest experience to somebody that, like you're saying, doesn't check out of this hotel? They're here to stay. Yeah, I, I always uh, think about the people that chose uh, to live at Golden Oak. Um, and if you think about it, uh, the individuals that are uh, enjoying a, these homes, and, and many of you know those homes start at a considerable price point and mm-hmm. work their way up to uh, you know, a pretty high price point, uh, a lot of these people could choose to live uh, anywhere they want in the world, right? right. And uh, you know, early on, uh, we, we thought that a small amount would live there, but now you know, most people are making, a lot of people are making this their full-time home. So when you think about uh, this type of individual, they are ardent Disney fans, kind of like a D23 fan. Right. Um, and the people that chose to live there, what we wanted to do was create experiences and create a level of service that was next level beyond what they would imagine. So when you have people of this this type of caliber, you want to 
have intuitive service, anticipatory service, and think for them. Think what they would like. Think what they would enjoy. Mm-hmm. So when you think about an atypical concierge in a hotel, uh, one of our hotels at Disney, they are 100% focused on Disney amenities. And certainly from time to time, they will have to help a guest with you know directions to the uh, to Tampa if they want to go to Busch Gardens. Right. If you think about the concierge that we hired and the you know the club member services team that we have at Gold Note, they're almost like a concierge in a high rise hotel in New York City, where no matter what they would ask, we would provide it and we would go to that next level to provide it. So let's take an example. Early on in my time there, um, we didn't deliver newspapers to the homes. Uh, we didn't have the Orlando Sentinel delivered to the homes. And it's really truly was the responsibility of that homeowner to, you know, if they wanted to have a newspaper, they could order it. They live in Orange sure. County, Florida. Um, but we had a gentleman who said, Barry, I'd love to have the New York Times every time I'm here. Can you make that happen? Right. You know what? In the beginning, we did. We went and picked it up in the morning every time he would come and use his home when he visited from New York. Uh, we knew when he was coming. And uh, we would have a cast member, Patrick, stop by in the morning, pick up a New York Times at the store, and uh, put it on his doorstep. So that's the kind of service. That's a small example. Uh, Another example. uh, I need help. Uh, Can you get me a rental car? Uh, Who do I call? Sure. We call the National Car Rental or Alamo, National Car Rental, Alamo on on the property. And uh, we didn't say, okay, drive over and pick it up. We made an arrangement and an agreement with National Car Rental uh, to bring it right to the club and have it parked out front or bring it right to their house upon arrival. So that's the type of service, uh, you know, that, you know, you wouldn't normally think of. Sure, you need tickets to go to the parks. Of course, you want to have, uh, you know, uh, a dinner reservation. Yes, we're able to assist you with that for the California Grill. But it's that deep dive and then what we would train to is listening skills and understanding what they love and enjoy. So, you know, one last story, and then you can give me another question. Um, We opened up the restaurant and uh, Markham's dining room and uh, Tyler's lounge. Um, We had dinner service on Friday and Saturday evenings. One of our club members was having dinner and uh, she said to one of our service team servers, Gosh, I really love Alaskan king crab legs. Okay. Right. That server then went to the food and beverage manager. We came back to the table. The food and beverage manager said, are you coming in for dinner next Friday night? Yes, I am. Uh, would you like to have Alaskan king crab legs? Really? Oh, yes. No problem. Now, we can get those from our purveyor, but we know those are served uh, at the Cape May Buffet, right? Yep. And we're able to get those fresh and bring them over that following Friday. And that was on her printed dinner menu for dinner. Then we take it one step further. You know, many restaurants, when they're serving lobster or they're serving uh, Alaskan King crab legs, you, you normally get one of those nice plastic bibs, which we right. had those lovely plastic bibs. Yep. Um, but we didn't do that. We went out because we had a week to plan and we had a custom bib made with her name on it. Oh, wow. And then when we presented her with the crab legs, we crab legs, we tied that bib around her neck, and the experience was right. there. Right. So that's what I would say to you: 
Um, it's creating those memorable experiences, and uh, we did that all the time. Yeah. Uh, before we leave Golden, Golden Oak, so what's the maybe you can explain what's the difference or what's the same between Golden Oak and the Four Seasons residents that are built just beyond the the Golden Oak homes. Are they the same? Do they have the same amenities? What's uh, or are they completely different? Sure. Um, they're first and foremost they're Golden Oak Club members, and then the Four Seasons private residences have the ability uh, to uh, join a uh, additional membership at the Four Seasons uh, itself that a, a, a pro, a, the, mm-hmm, <laughs> that allows them to have um, certain levels of amenities from the hotel, whether that's room service from the hotel, uh, housekeeping services, or uh, to utilize uh, some of the amenities at the hotel, whether it's their pool or their children's program. So they're able to uh, purchase uh, an additional membership because they purchased a home within the Four Seasons private residences. Okay. Very cool. Very good. That's amazing. That's yeah. totally amazing. Um, all right. So as uh, as we uh, we start kind of wrapping things up a little bit, we did want to talk about how did Club 33 become part of your role? Yeah, you know, uh, again, uh, my my background is in personalized, customized service, and uh, Club 33 is certainly that. Those that are familiar with Club 33 at Disneyland that's been around for over 50 years, Walt Disney World decided uh, to build a version of that at uh, Walt Disney World, uh, distinct clubs in each one of the parks. Uh, And so I got a call in January from my senior vice president. I seem to just get calls all the time. Barry, can you do some more work? Right. And... uh, so uh, they asked me to take on Club 33 and help initialize uh, the level of service there, as well as the food and beverage operation, and uh, work with the sales team to do the initial sales for Club 33. Right. That was a blast. Yeah. You know, the uh, Club Club 33 uh, locations are beautiful. They're all based on uh, Walt's adventures, and each one is uniquely different with amenities inside and decor inside that depict uh, certain times in, in Walt's life. You don't get to go into these clubs unless you are a member. Uh, there's memorabilia in each one of the clubs that you do not see unless you're a member, as well as, uh, you know, personalized and customized service uh, in, in these clubs. And uh, they're magnificent. Yeah. The, the, we've been to the Disneyland, and it's, it's a full-on, you know, restaurant and lounge. Uh how do the ones in Walt Disney World differ from that original Disneyland uh, being like a full-on restaurant and lounge? Yeah, the uh, Club 33 uh, clubs at uh, Walt Disney World are, are more of a, um, a small plate dining experience. Uh, there okay. is uh, the ability to purchase um, alcoholic beverages within the confines of the club. Uh, so it's a little bit different. It's not a full uh, menu, if you will. Okay. Okay. Very good. But, you know, what's really amazing, and the chefs, again, credit Walt Disney World and our chefs and our culinary teams, you know, the menus are designed differently in each club, um, and they change. They're indigenous to the parks at times when the food and wine festival is happening. 
Uh, we changed some of the items out to align uh, with the top items at uh, the food and wine festival. So you're not waiting in line for the beer cheese soup. You might be able to get that in Club 33. Um, or uh, in the in Magic Kingdom, if they've created some amazing uh, cupcake for a particular event, whether it's Mickey's Not So Scary or Mickey's Very Merry, uh, you find that cupcake at Club 33. So uh, it's really a joy to work with the parks. And it's a partnership between... Uh, premium services in each one of the parks uh, right. to execute the, del- the delivery every day. Right. Um, t- did you have a chance to get to all four? And if so, do you have a favorite one? And you can tell us maybe a little bit about uh, why it's your favorite. I know uh, that's a tough favorite. question. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the one I, I always uh, love the one in the Magic Kingdom because it's so unique and it's very kitschy, like you would think in many of the attractions in the Magic Kingdom. But I have to say that my favorite is uh, the one at Epcot hmm. uh, because it helps depict a time in Walt's life when he was on vacation and he was enjoying uh, a particular activity that Walt loved. And, you know, again, I'd love to tell all your listeners all about it. But as you know, these clubs are private and um, it's uh, but it's it was really showing Walt not in a business sense. Walt truly relaxing and enjoying life and Mm -hmm. uh, to see him and his daughters and to see him with certain celebrities uh, back in the day. Um, that's what I love most about that club because, uh, Walt, uh, you know, certainly worked hard, uh, to create, uh, the magic, uh, and Mickey, but, uh, it was nice to see him relaxing. Nice. Very cool. So, so from a hospitality standpoint, Barry, what, what do you think is really just the core Disney guest experience or at least the expectation of the core Disney guest experience? You know, I, I am, again, uh, going back to my early days in 1977, um, I have never forgotten uh, what I learned in orientation. That's what it was called back then, that first day when we joined the Disney uh, company. Now it's called Traditions. Um, uh, the mantra, the, the, the byline, if you will, cast equals guest equals financial. Uh, if you have the right cast members who you bring into the company, who have the right attitude uh, to be able to deliver uh, the guest experience every day and understand that everybody has a role at Disney, uh, but your purpose is to make people happy. And you have to train to that and be consistent with that every day. If you do that right, uh, they will take care of the guests. And, you know, our courtesy, our, our ability to make people happy and to create magic is world renowned. So if you know that, uh, you know, you've hired the right people, you train them right, you hold them accountable to their, uh, their purpose every day of making people happy. Uh, they will, they will bring the guests and that brand will bring the guests and everybody is a brand steward. Everybody is an ambassador of the Disney company. So then you'll get your financial. So really it's, you know, I'll, I'll borrow from my friend Lee Cockrell, uh, hire them right, train them right and treat them right. We, you know, take care of our cast 
the Disney company uh, takes care of their people. And, uh, you know, they love to come to work. I did it for 37 years. Um, and there wasn't a day, certainly there was days that were unique and different and challenging every single day. Right. But I knew, especially at Gold Note, my job, my job one was to come in every single day and make those club members happy at Gold Note and happy at Club 33. And uh, no different than when I was a lifeguard and had to take care of a guest and needed to help someone. It's all about helping and taking care of people. And I think uh, that truly is the essence of hospitality, taking care of others. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> the one thing I remember from our uh, traditions class was that they told us that you have the empowerment to make it right. You know, if a guest is having a, a bad experience with something, uh, you, you know, you have the power to step in and make that guest experience, uh, you know, correct and right. And I remember, you know, one quick story was a, a guest that dropped their camera in some water. Uh, another security host was with me, grabbed the camera out of the water, took the guest over to the camera shop. And they said, well, we can't fix it, but we'll give them a new camera. Just pull the new camera out of the case, gave it to the guest and said, here, uh, you know, go enjoy the rest of your vacation. And uh, we'll take care of this, uh, you know, waterlogged, soggy camera. And that was it. So... And, you know, that, that is so true. And I, I think where people get hung up, many businesses get hung up on that, that very point. Oh, my gosh, I just gave somebody a camera. Let's say that, uh, that camera cost, uh, at cost, $150. Yeah. Um, the goodwill that you just did for that one uh, fan, that one customer, that one guest was legendary. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen with the 70 million people that come in. And that's what I love most about Disney and, and many great companies I've worked for, whether it was the Dallas Cowboys or Club Corp, um, you were empowered to make the right decision. And, uh, you know, it, everybody going back to a, you know, very individualized, individual person, every situation you come encounter, you encounter everything you do uh, should be a one-on-one -on -one transaction and it should be personal. Uh, it's not uh, going through the drive-thru and ordering something and you pick it up and you go. Uh, and even drive throughs have gotten better, right? Yeah. Hey, how are you doing today? Great. Enjoy your burger. Have a nice day. Right. But right. Disney really, truly does train to that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. Last question and we'll, uh, we'll let you go. We appreciate the time that you've given us. Um, do you have a, a favorite Disney memory? Um, I think I've been so, so many memories, whether it was uh, creating a picnic basket for Jane. And uh, I had this picnic basket and uh, change out the food in it because we were afraid it would spoil and putting ice and buying Starbucks sandwiches to cook a picnic basket in Tokyo or, you know, being snowed in in Denver, a horrendous uh, snowstorm when, uh, we couldn't get anywhere for a shareholders meeting and working together with my buddy, Scott Ranch, who is my technology guy and running food from the Bob Iger and other executives were huddled and we were just in the midst of the, uh, the war that broke out, the Iraq war, the Iran war. Right. Um, you know, that was a crazy time. And, and so, you know, out of my career, 
D23 always speak to as the culmination of working with cast members throughout the entire company uh, to build something for our fans, to give back to the fans what you know, maybe when we talk next, uh, you know, I'll be able to share stories. Yeah. Um, Right. My career, uh, there was a lot of crazy events and a lot of fun and a lot of celebrities and people that I met and a lot of mentors who really helped me along the way. Right. Right. Uh, which brings us to, Uh, you know, where can people find you if they want to find out more about your career and what you've done and how to maybe, uh, you know, hire you to do uh, keynote speaking or, or, or help their company with guest services, things like that. And the last question is, you know, do you maybe want to take all of your experiences, Barry, and put them in a book for, you know, people to read and, and uh, kind of go through? Well, uh, I thanks for first of all for having me on today. I had a lot of fun, and uh, you know, if, if people would like to find me, uh, you can go to LinkedIn, which is easy, and just look Barry Jacobson. Uh, I did after leaving Disney start my own business, uh, BarryJacobsonConsulting.com uh, is my website, um, and you know, I have been uh, asked a couple times over the last year to to start writing all my stories down, which I started. So stay tuned. At some point, uh, we'll have a, a book out there. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Great. Yeah, thank you. Making thank the you. magic. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. We've, we've been looking forward to having you on for a very long time. And uh, like we always like to tell uh, everybody at the end of our shows, uh, if we don't see you online, We'll see you in the parks.